Can I ask you a personal question? Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just, I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Well, because like almost every single person that I've come in contact with in the music industry has told me that my nose is too big and that I won't make it. Your nose is beautiful. Mary Poppins, you came back. I've come to look after the Banks children. Us? Oh yes, you too. When your father and I were young, we used to imagine that Mary Poppins could do all sorts of impossible things. Those things didn't really happen. No. No. Of course not. Ridiculous. Everything is possible. Even the impossible. I want you to be my VP. You're the solution to my problem. Yeah. Um, CEO of a large company. I have been uh, Secretary of Defense. I have been in Chief of Staff. Uh, the vice presidency is mostly a uh, symbolic job. I can see how that wouldn't be uh, enticing to you. However, the vice presidency is also defined by the president. If we were to come to a uh, different understanding. That sounds good. Welcome to another edition of Joe's Media Corner. Thanks for listening. This week, we're going to be looking at movies, the best of 2018, maybe the worst. What was good? What was bad? We just had the Golden Globes and gearing up for the Oscars. So we'll see what's going on. We're going to talk to Bruce Fretz, he of the New York Times and Closer Weekly, and also FretzOnFilm.com, his website. He does a lot on movies, TV, what's in, what's out. He's written his columns on the best of 2018 in his view and the worst. We'll see. You might be surprised. A Star is Born, Mary Poppins Returns among them. But did he like them or not? We'll see. We'll talk to him in a moment. But of course, my book is out also this week, Killing Journalism, How Greed, Laziness, and Donald Trump Are Destroying News and How We Can Save It. That's at Amazon.com and your favorite bookstore. Just ask them to order it. And of course, we're brought to you, as always, by Jiminy's. Jiminy's Dog Treats. They're a delicious treat that uses cricket protein. It's more sustainable and better on the environment than beef or chicken. That's at Jiminy's.com. J-I-M-I-N-Y-S dot com. Now let's turn to our interview with Bruce Fretz. Bruce, are you there? I'm here. Bruce Fretz, how are you doing? Welcome back. Actually, you were on the Retro Room, the other podcast. That's right. And this is now for Joe's Media Corner because we're talking more current information. Correct. Talking about movies, the best and worst of 2018. Of course, we're diving headfirst into awards time now. Yes. Uh, the Golden Globes nominations are out. The Oscar mm-hmm. nominations are soon to come. Yep. But uh, you also have your website. Well, let's tell everyone, remind everyone where you are. You are at Closer Weekly mm-hmm. and then Frets on Film, fretsonfilm.com. Of course, right, F-R-E-T-T-S-O-N-F-I-L-M, all one word, fretsonfilm.com. Yes. That's my blog, yeah. And also at the New York Times in several areas, you do writing on different pop culture and movie issues, but also the trailers. And we want to get you yes. on another time to talk just about your trailers column because you review sure. movie trailers, which I think is a great yes. thing because they are the first line of uh, promotion. It's true, and sometimes they're more entertaining than movies themselves. So, yes, uh, and I wonder if the movies that you didn't like, uh, do you want to start with the movies you liked or the movies you didn't like? Uh, let's do the movies I didn't like. Okay, and they're both, again, at fretsonfilm.com, F-R-E-T-T-S-O-N-F-I-L-M. Dot com title to this one a star bores and more the worst films of 2018 why don't you sort of tell us some of the sure. the top 
of the worst and and why and and any surprises i think a star is born is one of your worst yeah. and that's getting a lot of positive attention well i thought it was one of the best trailers of the year actually i loved the trailer uh i wanted to like the movie i was very excited going to see it and uh you know it heard all the great buzz and reviews and the you know oscar buzz for bradley cooper directing and starring and lady gaga making her you know first starring role in a movie and I just hated it. I just thought it was terrible. I thought it was just corny and kitschy and over the top. The only things I liked about it were a couple of supporting performances. I thought Sam Elliott was great as Bradley Cooper's manager, and I hope that he gets an Oscar nomination. I think he's long overdue for recognition. And I shockingly thought Andrew Dice Clay was great as Lady Gaga's father. And I could have watched whole scenes of just him and his friends hanging out. Yeah. But most he's of it was just these loving close-ups of Lady Gaga and especially of Bradley Cooper loving close-ups of himself, you know, wallowing in self-pity as this, you know, uh, alcoholic country singer. I didn't believe it for a second. Um, and uh, well, Lady Gaga is not bad, but she's basically playing Lady Gaga. You know, she's this uh, insecure young woman who turns into basically a Lady Gaga-like pop star. So not a real stretch. Didn't think the songs were good. Uh, thought a lot of the dialogue was laughable. And uh, that was my most popular and controversial post on my blog this year was five reasons why a star is born suck, which um, it was hard limiting it to just five, but I managed to do that. And uh, a lot of people disagree with me, but then I've also got a lot of people saying, thank God, finally, someone comes to their senses and doesn't buy into the hype of this thing because it's just been so overhyped for a movie that's uh, really kind of underwhelming. And sometimes when a movie's so hyped, it can't live up to it, even if it is good. And this yeah, definitely well, a couple, got a lot of hype. And it, Yeah, so, a couple of films on my list fall into that category. Um, Avengers Infinity War, which felt like it lasted for infinity to me. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, it was one of the biggest movies of the year, box office-wise. Got great reviews, and... Uh, I found it just crushingly dull. You know, the whole movie is just this Thanos character played by Josh Brolin trying to attain these infinity stones, which, you know, you're just like counting them down. Like, okay, he's got one. Now he's got two. And so many characters that no one really gets enough screen time. One of my favorite movies of the year, maybe, maybe my top movie of the year, Black Panther, you know, Black Panther shows up in Avengers Infinity War and doesn't have anything to do. But there's so many superheroes that there's no time for anyone to really make an impression, even though the movie is ridiculously long. So, uh, you know, sometimes the most acclaimed, most successful movies of the year are ones that I hate the most. And I don't try to be a contrarian, but uh, it just kind of works out that way. And the interesting thing, of course, The Star is Born was remade twice. It was... This uh, was the fourth. This is the fourth. fourth oh, version. I, knew, yeah. I thought it was three. There were three of them, because I remember... Yeah, no, the original was... was uh, the original, right? Or was there... No, the original was Frederick, Frederick March and Janet Gaynor. Ah, this is why we have you on. Yeah. We don't know these things. When was and the then, first one up? That was in the 30s. Oh, okay. And then uh, Judy Garland and James Mason in the 50s, right. Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson in the 70s. And now we've got Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Yeah, and uh, considered good? Or were they just sort of vehicles for stars, to sh like a Judy Garland? The first two were considered off. good. Yeah. The third one... You know, it was such an ego trip for Barbara Streisand yeah. that didn't get universally great reviews, but it was very successful and the music was yeah. great in it. I mean, that's the thing about the new one is however you feel about Barbara Streisand in the 1976 version, you know, those, that Paul Williams score is great. I mean, Evergreen yeah. is one of the great songs. Oh, sure. And there's just nothing that compares to that. In the was that written for the movie, Evergreen? It was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Paul sense. Williams and Barbara Streisand wrote it together in about two weeks before the movie started. And, you know, sometimes time pressure, uh, you know, results in something great. Was her? Was she playing kind of a kind of 
a, a shy, uh, I can't, I'm not good enough kind of character who's trying to make it. Because, again, it would be hard to see her do that. She's so talented, especially at that time. She wasn't a new unknown face. I'm actually working on another piece for the New York Times right now. I'm doing a whole series of Oscar history uh, memorable moments. I did an interview with Rob Lowe recently about his duet with Snow White. And the next one I have coming up is about the 50th anniversary of Barbara Streisand winning Best Actress for Funny Girl. And uh, she actually tied with uh, Catherine Hepburn for Lion in Winter that year. But it's kind of interesting that 50 years later, Lady Gaga's possibly going to win an Oscar for playing a very similar role, not just to the one that Barbara Streisand played in A Star is Born, but also in Funny Girl. She played this performer who's very insecure about her looks and especially her nose and, you know, still manages to become this huge superstar. And uh, it just, you know, it feels a little overdone to me because I think Barbara Streisand and Lady Gaga are both beautiful women. They, you know, they have unconventional faces but uh you know you're supposed to believe that like oh no one would ever you know hire these people or promote them or you know buy their records well you know they're incredibly talented yeah. so it's you know it's just a little bit uh would a lesser known smaller. person have worked in either of those roles either the 76 or current i don't know you know it's, it's the tradition of the franchise now is just that it's got to be major stars and, yeah Originally, this version Bradley Cooper was just going to act in, and Clint Eastwood was going to direct, uh, who's directed him a couple times in American Sniper and The Mule, and Beyonce was going to be the star, um, which would have been an interesting combination, I think, more kind of along the lines of The Bodyguard. But Brad decided he was ready to direct himself, and Mm -hmm. uh, he stepped up and did it, and uh, you know he's he's getting the acclaim for it, and he's going to get an Oscar nomination, and could even win an Oscar, we'll see. But uh, I've always found Bradley Cooper tremendously overrated as an actor. I really? really no, him. because I oh yeah. Well, yeah. I liked him in I liked him in The Hangover. Although I think a lot of people could have played that movie. How about in Wedding Crashers? He played played kind of well, a that, those are like jerk, that's that's but, his speed. Like he yeah. can play those kind of silly comedies when he tries yeah. to play like you know Silver Linings Playbook or you didn't American like Silver Linings Playbook. No, I just I yeah. feel like he's he's shallow. I, I don't, thought it was I don't good, but that. I thought it was really really rough. I just, I don't buy him. I never, I feel like he... Is he too good-looking and... uh, It's not so much the look, it's just like you can can see him acting, you know? He never disappears into a character for me. That's Um, true. Is that hard but, to do uh, when you know, such a such a handsome face movie star type? There yeah, are ones who have know. done that in the past who yeah. take a role and it, make it. But yeah, it's just it's I just don't think he's he seems like a very nice guy. I'm sure he's you know you know lovely to work with and all that. But uh, I just I find him overrated. You know I just don't find him somebody who's he's got an Oscar nomination so many times now for movies that just felt like he didn't deserve it. American Hustle. You know. Did you like American Hustle? Because I thought that was a little. A little mixed Not up. particularly. Yeah, I, mean, I thought I, it was a little I, overrated. It's interesting because uh, Christian Bale and uh, right, Amy he's... Adams are together again in Vice, yes. which is one of my favorite movies of this year. Yeah. And I felt they were much better used in this, in Vice, as Dick and Lynn Cheney, of all people. It's hard to imagine either of them. But they both do really disappear into their roles. I mean, Christian Bale is truly an actor who just vanishes into his characters, and never more so than as Dick Cheney. And I just find Bradley Cooper to be the opposite. I just keep seeing Bradley Cooper, the movie star, kind of winking at me like, what? Look at me act. Look at me cry. You know, look at me wet my pants at the Grammys. You know, I I almost burst out laughing in that scene because it was just like, no, they're not going to really have him wet his pants at the Grammys. He wets his pants at the Grammys. Spoiler alert. Uh-oh, now no. you make me want to see it more. I have to see that. <laughs> the other one of your uh, one of your bad, uh, one of your worst choices that's also getting good reviews, or I don't know if it's getting good reviews, but it's getting good attention, is Mary yeah. Poppins Returns. 
Yeah. Which I did not even want to see because I thought it was a remake. Then when I found out it was somewhat of a sequel, I thought, okay, let me go see. I still haven't, though. But it was one of those movies that I wanted to like, and I was trying to enjoy it while I was watching it, but um, it's just charmless. It just tries so hard. You can just see the gears grinding of like, okay, now we have to do the nonsense song. Now we have to do the animated sequence. Oh, very formulaic. Yeah, they just want to tick every box, you know, of the original. But there's no ingenuity, there's no joy. Most of the characters are miscast, I think. Really? My only blood plays Mary Poppins is very stern and snippy and with none of the charm and warmth of Julie Andrews. Lin-Manuel Miranda has, if possible, an even worse British accent than Dick Van Dyke did. The only good things in the movie are, toward the very end, there are three single numbers by, you know, very uh, elderly, shall we say, Performers, well, Meryl Streep isn't elderly necessarily, but she's getting up there. She has one song toward the end, and she's great. And then Dick Van Dyke shows up and does one song, and it's great. And then Angela Lansbury shows up. But you got to sit through about an hour and 45 minutes of bad Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel Miranda musical numbers mm-hmm. to get to that point. And it's just really not worth it. It just it just doesn't. I didn't even know those magic. cameos were in. Why, why do they come in? Well, because Dick Van Dyke, you know, was in the original. Yeah, I can and see why he'd he be wanted he wanted to do it, and then the, the uh, Angela Lansbury, they wanted Julie Andrews to play that role, but right. Julie Andrews can't sing anymore. She's yeah, yeah. lost her voice, so, so they figured, well, who's kind of like Julie Andrews? Well, Angela I Lansbury hear. is you know, a Disney musical veteran sure. from Beauty and the Beast, and, and then Meryl Streep had worked with the director, uh, Rob Marshall, on Into the Woods. I've also worked with Emily Blunt in that, and, and also in uh, The Devil Wears Prada, and so... You know, she's been exercising her musical skills in recent years with the Mamma Mia movies, and so she's delightful. But then, you know, just all the the major characters are just kind of flat, and uh, there's no real story to it. You got one remake, and you got one basic, almost remake sequel getting great acclaim. What what is it that both of them miss, or why do you think so many people like them? Well, I think people love the originals, and and it it reminds them. You know, it's like it's a facsimile of the original. But when you really look at it, it it doesn't have the ingenuity. It doesn't have the spirit. It feels like very forced and very mechanical and commercial. Like, we're going to churn this out, and it's going to make a ton of money. And the spirit behind it, I think, is more commercial than creative. And the people will still go, and, and even the Golden Globe nominees will, will get suckered in? Yeah, maybe, or? yeah. well, the Golden Globes, you know, is about 90 foreign journalists, who most of whom don't really write. <laughs> They're like... It's, it's kind of a shady organization. The Oscars are, are more legitimate, although they tend to mm. kind of fall into lockstep after all these yeah. other awards have come out. So I think a lot of these movies are going to get uh, a lot of Oscar nominations, yeah. too. But I'm also hoping that some of my favorite films, like Vice, will also get um, nominations. It's actually the most nominated film for Golden Globes because both Christian Bale and Amy Adams were nominated, along with uh, Sam Rockwell, who's terrific as George W. Bush. Just absolutely nails the character. Oh, you're getting me more and more um, interested. So let's go to your top choices. That, yes. that piece, Virtue and Vice. Um, yeah. You have Vice, as you mentioned, the uh, yes. Cheney movie, which seemed to be, it's surprising there hasn't been a movie made yet. Yeah, well, he was he was in the W movie, the Oliver Stone movie, but he was just kind of a supporting character. Yeah. Richard Dreyfuss played him. But yeah, this is all, you know, straight out Dick Cheney biopic. And it's, uh, it's really innovative. It takes a lot of wild twists and turns uh, just in terms of its storytelling style. Uh, it really takes a lot of chances, and I think it works in almost every case. But I just really respect the fact that it was trying to do something different. It was really audacious, and uh, you know, in this business where everything's so safe and calculated, and 
commercial. It's like, no, let's just throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. And uh, in this case, a lot of stuff stuck. It's getting a lot of attention at the Golden Globes. It's getting nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Supporting. Yep. Best director. Best director for Adam McKay. Now, what is Adam McKay's story? Where, where well, he's he... an interesting guy because he, he comes out of the Will Ferrell kind of comedy scene. He he, he uh, worked on the Anchorman movies. And then a couple of years ago, he kind of took this very sharp turn into much more serious movies. And he made The Big Short, which I thought was a yes, great movie about the financial good. crisis. And this is very much in that vein of like a movie that you wouldn't think oh, that's going to be an entertaining you know, yeah. picture. But he just approaches it with such a skewed point of view that it's really entertaining. And he's not Oliver Stone, who I think takes exactly. some of these movies and really ruins the story. Maybe I'm unfair because I do like Oliver Stone's, a lot of his work, Wall Street, I like Platoon, did not like Nixon, which he, I think, tried to make Nixon into this kind of... He tried to get into his head and get yeah. into some weird theories. And, of course, JFK had its own problems. And even the Doors movie, he got a little kind of presumptuous of what the people are thinking. Does Vice, right. I assume, doesn't do any of that, really? Or does it? No, I mean, the thing about Oliver Stone is that he has absolutely no sense of humor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so Adam McKay kind of comes at similar topics that Oliver Stone would, yeah. but with a really... Uh, wry and inventive sense of humor. So that really, I think, redeems the projects in, in ways that some of Oliver Stone's movies just feel preachy and, you know, beating you over the head with a political point. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, Adam McKay does it more with a, a wink and, a, and you know, a nudge, which uh, I appreciate. So I'm going to make sure we get to see that. Another one you like, Black Klansman, which I did see. Yes. And got yeah. it's gotten a lot of acclaim. I, I liked yes. it. I thought it went on a little long and it was well, a little that's slow. Likely, you know. Yeah, that's Spike Lee. He tries everything. Yeah. And again, it's sort of like Vice. I appreciate that, that it's audacious. It doesn't always yeah. work. You know, it, it has these wild shifts in tone between sort of buddy cop movie and very serious political movie. And there's like a musical number in the middle where they all do a Soul Train dance. And, yeah. But it's never boring. No, um, and it was and an interesting has, story that most people yeah. didn't know. I certainly didn't. No, no, no. It's and very, still very relevant today. Story. Although Absolutely. Spike Lee does also get sort of preachy. Uh, it's hard yeah. not to get preachy when you're talking about the Klan and what horrible right. things they did. Right. But it also right. involves an interesting story of how this, these cops got into the Klan and, and yeah. uncovered things and of true story. And terrific acting, too. Yes, I mean, John David Washington, well who's Denzel Washington's son, um, right. is absolutely fantastic in the lead role. Yes. Uh, Adam Driver Adam plays Driver's partner great. is great. Yeah. I think they both are going to get Oscar nominations. Yeah. And um, it, yeah, I mean it's uh, it's Spike Lee. You know, it's got about five different endings that it probably yeah, could have done without also, two or three of them. But then but, he, uh, he, he you attacks know, on the white supremacist Charlottesville. Yeah. Day, so, which I understand, but I think that sometimes goes on a little much. But it doesn't really doesn't really hurt it. I just yeah. it was a little slow, but overall well done and a good story. And I was yep. lucky or unlucky to actually interview David Duke a few years ago. Oh, that's and right. I remember coming away from it thinking, man, this guy hates Jewish people. Yeah. I mean, as much as he's racist, too, I think that's even more of his hatred, which is kind of interesting because there's such a rise these days of anti-Semitism. Yeah. So Topher Grace is great as David Duke, too, and you wouldn't expect yes. him in that role. And he's... He plays him as a very real person. He doesn't make him just this hateful, evil person. Right. They show him as, as a human this, you know, terrible flaw and this terrible view of things, but also yep. how many people, as we know, who are racist or prejudiced are raised that way, are taught yes. that. Yeah. And, but they also show how hateful and cruel a lot of these, a lot, what the Klan really was. 
that they yeah. great scenes of them just you know killing and abusing people mm-hmm. and something that you know I don't think the Klan is ever glorified, but as you know, well, in a lot of birth uh, of a nation, yeah, but, but in a lot of mob which, movies, sometimes mobsters are glorified, and then you have to sort of remind people they're evil thug. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, the Klan, you know, is a very was a very evil organization, obviously, and very interesting how they were so openly recruiting people. Um, what other? Yeah, gra- I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought the three the three best movies I saw this year all dealt with race in very different ways, ah, but very head on. Uh, that would be uh, Black Panther, Black Panther, right. which I mentioned briefly earlier. Mm-hmm. I think it's a truly revolutionary movie. I hope it wins Best Picture. I mean, Black and I'm Panther? so sick of yeah, I'm so sick of Marvel superhero movies or any superhero movies that uh, I was astonished I went to see it and that's this incredibly beautiful, brilliantly acted movie that has a very subtle but serious point to make mm-hmm. about society. You know, it, it really is a, a very profoundly kind of anti-Trump movie just below the surface. And, you know, it came out right around the time that, uh, you know, Trump was referring to uh, African nations as shithole countries yeah. and it shows you how beautiful Africa is. And, you know, it's a, it's a terrific adventure, but, uh, you know, the acting is extraordinary. It's just so many beautiful faces on the screen just to see so many African American and, and African English and just African actors all in one movie, you know, telling this great story that, uh, you know, I, I actually went to see it three times in the theaters, which I almost never nice. see a movie more than once anymore. But I saw it and then I wanted to take my son to see it. And I want to take my daughter to see it because I really felt like it took the genre and just transcended it into something oh, excellent. really sublime. Okay, you're giving so, me um, long lists here to see movies. I like that. Yeah, and then the other one is uh, Sorry to Bother You. Yeah, I, I, know, know I remember Boots when that Riley's came out, movies. and that was, it has an interesting story, but yes. did it, it, it kind of came and went, though, it seems like. Well, I mean, it, it, happens it, it, it played movies. for a little while. It played for a little yeah. while. It didn't have quite the same impact as uh, Black Klansman or certainly Black Panther. But it was very but, creative, wasn't it kind of a... Uh, oh, it's incredibly creative, yes. Yeah, special this, effects, this even, of, and... Yeah, it's this uh, rapper activist Boots Riley. It's his first film and plays off this sort of fantastic premise that this this young man <clears throat> played by Lakeith Stanfield gets a job at a telemarketing company and finds that if he speaks in a white voice rather than a stereotypically black voice, he does better and starts to move up the corporate ladder. And so it's got this very devastating kind of social commentary going on. And then it takes this very bizarre twist where it becomes truly surreal and mind-blowing. I just, I, I saw that one twice in the theaters because the first time I saw it, I was like, I don't know what I just saw. I got to go back and see that again because it's it's brilliant. I mean, those three movies together, I think, are the, the best of the year along with Vice. So I was very pleased. And, you know, I wonder how much of this is inspired by Trump, that people are making these movies that, you know, are truly revolutionary and radical in their politics. And particularly when it comes to issues of race, you know, kind of as a, a reaction, I think, to the racism that's, you know, coming down from the top of our country. Yeah, so do you think that pushed a lot of the, not only making of these movies, but also people willing to go see them? I think so, yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I think enough time has passed now, it's been two years, Mm -hmm. you know, that these movies have gone into production and gotten made and gotten released that are a direct kind of response to Trump. So we're really starting to see the first films truly of the Trump era that are kind of rebutting, you know, his point of view. It's being done in very entertaining ways. It's not just being done, you know, in the Oliver Stone or even Michael Moore kind of, you know, head on sort of pedantic, you know, talking down kind of way. It's like hiding these messages in these very entertaining mainstream in some ways Hollywood movies. 
And I think that's more powerful because you're reaching a broader audience that way. You're not just preaching to the choir. You're hopefully getting this message across to a, a much larger and younger audience uh, who might be able to do something about uh, making some change. And this comes a year after. Uh, were you a fan of Get Out? I love Get Out. Yeah. yeah. That was yeah. a really I interesting think, movie, too, I thought. And the, the new trailer for Jordan Peele's next movie, Us, was just released on Christmas Day, and it looks equally freaky. Is that racist-based uh, or something else? Well, I, I, it's not as clearly uh, a racial commentary. It's about a, an African-American family, but they go on vacation and they encounter uh, their exact doppelgangers, a, a family that looks exactly like them, but are kind of evil monsters. So it's sort of about confronting the monster within yourself. So it looks fantastic. But but Get Out, I think, did help to inspire you know some of these movies this year. And Jordan Peele also produced Black Klansman. He was going to direct it himself, but he didn't have time. So he brought in Spike. So um, Jordan Peele's having a big influence on the on the movie scene these days, which I think is great because he's a uh, incredibly talented it's also a true story which i like black Klansman. yeah it's strange but true but yeah were you a fan yeah, but, of uh, another true story bohemian rhapsody i haven't seen bohemian rhapsody oh. actually i'm gonna go see it this weekend i've been meaning to see it that, i like i've kind it, of been avoiding it just because i i'm not a fan of, of rami malek the actor in general and i do like the music of queen but i'm not a fan of the director brian singers and so and everyone that i've i've talked to who's seen it you know kind of says well it's a very standard biopic but the, the concert sequences are great yeah so the music good, is and, there's a lot of good background. Yeah. I actually did a show on inaccuracies in movies, talking to mm -hmm. another critic about it. Yeah. Sort of, sort of sparked off Bohemian Rhapsody because there's some inaccuracies yeah. in it, and we talked about other movies, especially the Buddy Holly story, which I mm -hmm. learned over the years had major inaccuracies to the point where there mm. was a documentary made by one of his former bandmates. Oh, yeah. To correct a lot of the record that included Paul McCartney as a narrator. It's called the real Buddy Holly story, but. That, that was a whole other discussion about when you have true stories. Black Klansman, I think, would be part of it as well. I don't know that you know the true story behind that if it's was considered. Yeah, well, there was some criticism actually. Yeah. Actually, Boots Riley, the director of Sorry to Bother You, posted a whole sort of rebuttal of, of Black Klansman, sort of saying why the the licenses that that Spike did take with the true story, mm. you know, kind of undermined his point politically. That they kind of tried to make it look like most of the white officers, except for this one, who's kind of you know demonized as the villain. Right. Right. You know, eventually kind of came around and, and you know, were on the, the side of the African-American officer and then that really wasn't the case. I'm, and, I'm sure it was You know, they were, yeah, so they, he definitely, you know, made some changes for dramatic license. But, you know, it's not a documentary. You right. can pick apart any movie that's, yes. you know, a drama and say this isn't true, that isn't true. I tend to just look at it for what it is. You know, if it's a documentary, that's another thing. Then it's being held to a higher standard. But it's interesting because there's always kind of a backlash with any kind of real-life story of like, oh, but they changed this, they changed that. Well, they have to, you know, they're trying to, to shape a narrative and they only have a certain amount of time and certain corners have to be cut and so forth. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, there's always controversy about the real life stories. And there was some controversy about Bohemian Rhapsody. Some people felt like didn't accurately depict Freddie Mercury's homosexuality. And uh, I'm, it, it based I'm a lot of it around, if you go see it, you'll like, I mean, it's, yeah. it's I'm a big Queen fan. Yeah, I um, love the music. And the yeah. music's good, and the story is mostly accurate, where his background is from, and but it sort of centers a lot of it around his Live Aid performance. Right. And things right. about that weren't exactly true, that certain things... The movie has several things happening all at once that didn't mm -hmm. happen all at once. But yeah. uh, it doesn't really hurt, because most of it's accurate, and it, it does a good job of working with Freddie Mercury's bisexuality and sort of play, mm -hmm. playing the fact that he's, he wasn't gay, he wasn't trying to hide it necessarily, he was bisexual mm -hmm. and what that means, he... 
mm-hmm. uh, has his wife, and they're still. I won't ruin it all for you, but yeah, no, it's he, fine. he and his wife have a very strong relationship. But he also ends up with this other person, so right. he's truly loves a man and a woman at the same time. Right. And deals with that, right. and the music. I always like the sort of behind the scenes shots of how they create a song. A lot of biopics do that. They do that yep. well. I think add to it, and this one I think does as well. The other one that's on your yeah. top list that I hadn't heard about, I don't think a lot of people had, was Disobedience. Oh, Disobedience really is a great movie. Rachel McAdams, who I love, and these the trailers I was watching really show it as an interesting struggle for gay feelings, but also under the control and, and, and traditions of the Jewish religion. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a movie that came out earlier in the year, and uh, it's Rachel Weisz and Rachel McAdams. Rachel Weisz plays a, a former member of a very strict Orthodox Jewish community in London mm-hmm. who uh, kind of broke with her community, moved away, went to New York to become a photographer. And then her father, who's a very powerful rabbi, dies. So she comes home for her father's funeral. And she has had a previous lesbian relationship with Rachel McAdams' character, who has since uh, gotten married and kind of buried her whole feelings for other women side of her. And so it's this kind of forbidden taboo romance set in this very specific world of uh, religious repression. And uh, it's a beautiful movie. I mean, it's beautifully shot. The music is beautiful. Uh, the characters are beautiful. Alessandra Nivola plays Rachel McAdams' husband. It got a few nominations for, uh, you know, Independent Spirit Awards and Critics mm-hmm. Awards and things like this. But it's a movie that kind of fell through the cracks a little bit and one that I would definitely recommend people seeking out. It's available on video on demand. Days I actually watched it the second time on video because I loved it so much and it's one of the kind of uh, overlooked gems of the year, definitely. And what does it do though that there's a lot of these kinds of movies, The Forbidden Love, a lot of yeah. LGBT, which I think is great. There should be more yeah. and more and more because that's such an important issue and still fighting the fight, which is amazing right. to me, but... That's where we are uh, in the country. But what does this do maybe differently than some others have done? Well, I mean, I think it's the intersectionality of the LGBTQ element and the Orthodox Jewish element. You just Mm -hmm. don't see those two kind of factors put together very often. And it's an interesting tension between them because, you know, there's still a lot of strong religious feelings felt by Rachel McAdams and, and her husband and all the members of the community who are mourning the, the death of the rabbi. And yet there's also these strong romantic feelings between Rachel McAdams and Rachel Weisz. So it's that tension. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if they're going to act on their feelings. You don't know you know, if they're going to run off together. Or if this is just you know, sort of star-crossed love that's never going to be requited and, and, and consummated. And uh, the whole thing is just shot very elegantly and beautifully. And there's a lot of tension, you know, romantic and otherwise in the story. And directed by this... this uh, uh, Chilean filmmaker Sebastian Lalo, who has made a couple of foreign language films and is now moving into English language movies. He's got a remake of one of his earlier films called Gloria coming out. It's been retitled Gloria Bell with uh, Julianne Moore that's coming out early in 2019. So I'm really excited to see that because he's a really interesting director, especially in the way that he works with women. Was that the Gloria that was uh, at one point Sharon Stone and before her? No, that's, that's, a different, or... that's a different Gloria. That's a different Gloria? This, yeah, that's a different Gloria. This was a totally unrelated movie about a, a, a woman in her 50s who suddenly finds herself single and uh, in a relationship. And in the, the remake, it's Julianne Moore and John Tortura who plays her, her new love interest. And uh, the trailer for it is terrific. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that movie this year. Now, you also talked about sequels, which... Yes. And The Equalizer 2. I have not yeah, I was either one, so I'm, I'm out of touch here. This is why I have you to, to explain, and it it's does It's another better. one of these... 
overlooked movies of the year, at least wow. critically. I mean, it was commercially successful. Mm-hmm. The first one was commercially successful. I didn't love the first one. Mm-hmm. The second one added this whole new layer of depth to the characters, mm-hmm. uh, particularly to, to Denzel Washington's character. His, he's this former CIA agent who now, it's based on the old 80s TV series, The Equalizer, with Edward mm-hmm. Woodward. You know, he, he now sort of goes about settling scores for people with his sort of special set of skills. But in this one, his former handler, who's played by Melissa Leo, gets murdered very early in the film. And so he's sort of trying to avenge her murder. But there's also a very interesting relationship that Denzel Washington's character has with a younger African-American male who he becomes a sort of father figure to, who he's trying to kind of guide away from a life of crime. And um, it, the whole thing ends in this huge scene in a tornado that's going on. And it's this brilliant action sequence. And it's it's made by Antoine Fuqua, who worked with Denzel both on the first Equalizer, but also on Training Day, which I thought was a great film. It's the Godfather 2 of action sequels, you know, like it's so rare for a sequel to be better than the original, but this one is so far beyond the first one. And there were a couple films like that this year, I felt, including Creed 2, the boxing movie with Michael B. Jordan, which I thought was absolutely thrilling. I mean, I liked Creed, the first Creed quite a bit too. It was directed by Ryan Coogler, who went on to do Black Panther, but he wasn't available. So they brought in a new director, Stephen Capel Jr. And it's much less about Rocky. You know, the first one was kind of a Rocky sequel. Rocky fades a bit into the background in this one. And Michael B. Jordan just emerges as this incredibly charismatic star between uh, between Creed II and, and Black Panther, where he plays the villain this year. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all set for, like, you know, Creed three at this point. Are you surprised how much Rocky has been able to do with the, that franchise? I am. I mean, I love Rocky. The, the, the first Rocky was my favorite movie when I was a kid. The sequels seemed good, except Rocky five was, you know, forgettable. Right. But Rocky yeah. Balboa was very good. But it was also a very different movie. It was a bit of yeah, a smaller I mean, kind of mm-hmm. tender story. And then Creed, he just kind of creates this new angle, which I thought, yeah, yep. it went very well. And I haven't seen Creed two though, but... It's, yeah, it's yeah no, Creed 2 is great. And uh, yeah, it's amazing how this franchise has continued for 50 years at this point. <laughs> you know, I mean, Rocky's barely still uh, walking around, but the, the franchise is, uh, you know, is, is healthier than ever. And the other sequel that I loved was The Incredibles 2, which mm-hmm. 14 years was a long time to wait for a sequel to an animated movie. But uh, again, it sort of took the whole thing into a much deeper, more sophisticated storyline about you know, gender roles that, you know, Mr. Incredible has to stay home to kids and his wife goes back to work as a superhero. And there's all this kind of social commentary going on. In addition to just being an incredibly entertaining cartoon, you know, great vocal cast, you know, some of the Disney sequels have not been as good as the originals, but this was one that really, I think, surpassed the original. Yeah. And a lot of these animated movies, I think, come off really well because the quality of the animation is good, but you're right. The humor is funny. The mm-hmm. action, it's not Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and all the original right. animations, although they were great for their time, but they mm-hmm. really give something for the audience, parents, and kids. I know you have to leave in a moment, but I wanted to quickly get to a documentaries, which could be yeah. my favorite subject as a reporter. I love yes. the documentaries, and you mentioned RBG and Won't You Be My Neighbor, which are both about very well-known people, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and uh, Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. What brought them out to you? Well, it was those two, and then also Itzhak. Yeah, that uh, looks really wonderful interesting. wonderful documentary about Itzhak Perlman, made by a filmmaker named Alison Chernick. What was interesting to me about those three films is that they took these three individuals who are, you know, not dark, complicated characters in any way. They're, they're mm-hmm. I think, you know, fundamentally decent kind, you know, courageous people and and still managed to make really interesting movies about them. You know, you tend to think like, 
oh, if you're going to have kind of a, a you know a character study, you need to get into like darkness of their psyches. And these are just movies about great, inspiring people that really show you what they're like. It's not just kind of like a, a cardboard you know, hagiography. Hey, it's like you really get to spend time with them and get to know what, you know, what really makes them tick or, you know, made them tick in the case of Fred Rogers. And it gives you hope, you know, it gives you hope for humanity. And again, I think this is a reaction to, to the Trump era, you yeah. know? I mean, I think people are looking for leaders, whether they're, you know, political or cultural or musical, who, you know, embody the best of humanity. And, and these three people absolutely did that. It's, it's not even a matter of politics. I mean, the interesting, yeah. one of the interesting things about Fred Rogers is that it gets to the fact that he was a Republican. Yeah, you know? I can see I mean, that. He was an older Republican, though. He was still a very humane, decent yeah. individual who, you know, just wanted to spread love and spread kindness, especially to children. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Itzhak Perlman both are, you know, dealing with some physical challenges at this point in their lives mm -hmm. as well. And so it's inspiring to watch them continue to move forward. Yeah, it was a great year for documentaries, but those three in particular really spoke to me because I came out of the theater exhilarated and feeling hopeful for humanity and it's it's hard to get that feeling these days certainly you don't get it by watching the news networks and two of them are transformed into dramas the ruth bader ginsburg yes. movie on the basis of sex yeah i have not seen that yet that's just coming out and then the fred rogers movie with tom hanks is coming out next year yeah does tom yeah, hanks play so. everyone he's played a lot of he can stuff. apparently yeah yeah, I'm curious to see how that turns out. It's directed by Mary L. Heller, who made another one of my favorite movies this year, Can You Ever Forgive Me, with uh, Melissa McCarthy in a very dramatic role as a forger. Yes, forger. that's supposed to be really um, good. Oh, that looks yeah. interesting. I haven't seen that, but I, that's on my list. That's great. Okay. It's great. It's She's great, and Richard E. Grant idea. is great in that. I mean, this McCarthy one is a true story as well, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah based on a true story of a woman named Lee Israel, who uh, wasn't uh, making much money as a writer and decided to forge letters written by uh, more famous people and it's a fascinating sort of true crime story but it's also a great character study and the acting is just spectacular especially melissa and uh, richard e grant who kind of plays her partner in crime i think are both going to get oscar nominations Excellent. this year i want to uh, ask you about two documentaries i liked and then i'll let you go yeah one is actually going to be on cnn and by the time we play this it might have been already on love gilda about gilda yeah Radner. playing on new year's day yeah I, yeah we saw that before cnn showing it because it was mm -hmm. an independent film very well done and i don't know if you saw this is one i hope would get some oscar nomination three identical strangers yeah about yeah i think it's gonna get an oscar nomination too yeah that yeah another ton really of great documentaries movie. this year yeah, Love Gilda is wonderful. It'll yeah. be playing on CNN. I'm sure they'll be rerunning it through January. Alan Zweibel, who was Gilda's best friend and one of our, our New Jersey uh, neighbors, yes. <laughs> is a big part of it. And uh, it really reminds you of... I mean, he's had an interesting Absolutely. History. Yeah, he's fascinating. He's a Night Live and comedy guy. And Three Identical Strangers is about the three triplets who found each other, right. uh, I guess, in the early 80s. They had been split up at birth. And right. they found each other through when they were in college through just some circumstance. And then it turned out they mm -hmm. were part of this experiment. They were split up on purpose. And I won't mm -hmm. get into more of it, but I thought that was a very powerful documentary. That, I could see that becoming a drama, a, a, you know. I'm sure, yeah, although in a lot of cases the documentaries uh, are doing very well commercially, which yes. is really exciting and encouraging. I think people are seeking out facts, you know. It's the whole thing with fake news. You know, people want to see the legitimate documentaries it's, it's it's encouraging because people are feeling disillusioned with the spin from the media whether it's on the left or the right and so they feel like these documentaries are more factually based and um so it's interesting that people are seeking them out and they're always i think as you know uh true true stories are more interesting than fiction in many cases and there's true so stranger than fiction 
So many good true story plot lines to go after. Anyway, we've taken up your time. I appreciate it again. We've been talking to Bruce Fretz, media writer, film critic, film media person. You're on (laughs) fretsonfilm.com. You're at the New York Times. You're at Closer Weekly. Anywhere else to find your work, Facebook or Twitter? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm everywhere. I do a lot of Q&As for the SAG After Foundation that you can find on YouTube, and you never know where I'm going to turn up next. Well, we'll have to get you back to talk about the trailers, because that's a whole other interesting uh, yeah. creative process, and the columns you do on that for the Times are really interesting. But thanks again for being with us, and enjoy the uh, continued movie watching, and as the awards come along, we'll see who agrees with whom. Sounds good. Good talking to you, Joe. Thanks, Bruce. Be well. Take care. And that's all for this week's edition of Joe's Media Corner. Thanks to Bruce Fretz for his time. Hope you can take some of the insight into the movies as the Oscar nominations come out soon and more awards on the 2018's Best Films. And of course, we're always brought to you by Jiminy's. Jiminy's dog treats are sustainable and good for your dog and good for the environment. Reduce your carbon paw print with Jiminy's at Jiminy's.com. J-I-M-I-N-Y-S. And of course, my book is out, Killing Journalism, How Greed, Laziness, and Donald Trump Are Destroying News and How We Can Save It. Check it out at Amazon.com or your favorite bookstore. And get more information at my website, joestrupp.com, where you can hear all about my work and my past, background, and projects that I'm doing at joestrupp.com. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time and have a great day. Down on the corner, out in the street.